0: My name is Heidi and I love stories, funny stories and sad stories and what on earth just happened stories. As it turns out, the Bible is full of them. After two decades in Sunday school, plus a master's in English, I'm here to tell them to you. Get ready. This is Messy Scripture. You may recall that Samuel was grieving about the fact that Saul was no longer the Lord's anointed. And finally, God was like, Samuel, time to move forward. Fill up your horn with oil and go find the new king. In fact, I'll give you a hint. Go to Bethlehem and find a man named Jesse. One of his sons is going to be king. And Samuel's like, the problem is if Saul catches wind of this, I'm going to be in huge trouble and he'll kill me. God's like, bring a calf with you and then say that you're going to sacrifice to the Lord should anyone ask what you're doing in Bethlehem. And Samuel's like, all right. When Samuel gets to Bethlehem, the elders are freaked out because, you know, it's Samuel. Him being there is a big deal whether or not it's a good thing. And so they're like, you come in peace? And he's like, I come in peace, just here to make a sacrifice. You can come too. So the elders of the city get invited to the sacrifice. And he invites Jesse and all of his sons. And when he sees Jesse's oldest son, his name, by the way, is Eliab, he's like, oh, this is the Lord's anointed. He's tall, dark, and handsome. And God is like, maybe not. I'm not looking at his face. I'm looking at his heart. And his heart is not uh right. So no, you're wrong. Not this one. The same thing happens for seven of Jesse's sons. They go in front of Samuel and God's like, not that one, not that one. Samuel's like, okay, this is kind of getting awkward. Like, you said that it was one of Jesse's sons. And he's like, so this is all your sons? All of them? Jesse's like, well, there is one more. He's the youngest. His name's David. He's actually out tending the sheep. What a loser. But yeah, we we can bring him in. So they summon David. David comes in from his job, which was shepherding for the family. He comes over, and as soon as Samuel sees David, he's like, that's the one. And he anoints David with oil and says that David is going to be king over all of Israel. As soon as Samuel anoints him and as soon as he tells David the truth about his destiny, the Spirit of God comes upon David just like it did over Saul, and it remained with David for the rest of his life. I mention that the Spirit of God remained with David because the Spirit of God had left Saul, and instead an evil spirit was tormenting him with guilt and shame and fear and who knows what else. But it was pretty bad, like can't sleep, can't eat, bad, just constantly. And so Saul's advisors were like, you should find a skilled musician who can play the lyre, it's a kind of harp, and that will calm you down and then you'll be able to get rest, like that will make the spirit go away. Saul asks around and finds out that there's this son of Jesse who lives in Bethlehem, and the youngest one, David, remember, is a skilled musician and also a man of valor. They call him a man of war, which is interesting because David hasn't gone to war yet, but he's very handsome, beautiful eyes. Literally, the scripture's like, he has beautiful eyes. And he's a nice kid, so Saul summons David, and David's playing is skillful. In fact... It's skillful enough to send away the evil spirit from Saul, and Saul loves David. He sees him as a son, and David becomes one of his armor bearers. Not his only armor bearer, probably, as we'll see later, but he becomes one of Saul's armor bearers, and Saul begs Jesse to let David remain with him. David doesn't quite remain with Saul exclusively. He goes back and forth between Bethlehem and Saul's home, and as long as David played, the spirit didn't return to Saul. At this point, the Philistines attack Israel. This should not come as a surprise to you, and Saul goes out to war. Now, Jesse was too old to serve in the army. He was like an old man at this point, but three of his sons, the three oldest, were in prime fighting condition, so three of them, out of the eight, went with Saul and served in the army. David, who was one of Saul's armor bearers, did not. He went back and forth between Bethlehem and the front lines so that he could help take care of the sheep, because again, that's really what he's good at, and that's also what the family needs. They need a shepherd, and David is that. Normally wars were not drawn out that long in ancient times, like it tended to be either a rout or, you know, a massacre pretty fast, but this particular war was at a standstill and the reason was that the Philistines presented a champion. To present a champion to fight instead of your entire army was actually kind of common practice. Basically the idea was that the gods of each nation would stand in for their champions or would enable their champions so whomever won won in the name of their gods it makes sense broadly speaking and it was the same way that they viewed the armies like each army was in fact empowered by the gods that they served this is also why in the ancient world a lot of peoples would convert to the conquering armies gods not always although often Because they were coerced, but also because their god had just lost a war. So, like, what's he going to do for them? Anyway, the champion that the Philistines produced did not appear fair to Saul because he was a giant. His name was Goliath, and he was at least nine feet tall. And he was not a giant with skeletal issues. No, no. His armor was hundreds of pounds. He was ridiculously strong. And so every day, Goliath would go out and taunt the armies of Israel and be like, Where's your champion now, boy? I'm here to fight. You all are cowards. The challenge was simple. Whoever won, won the war. Like, Goliath versus blank. That was it. And Goliath every single day. Who's gonna fight me? None of you wussies. Yeah, it wasn't going great for Israel. But after 40 days, Jesse sends David over with some food, and he's like, go see how your brothers are doing at the front lines. So David rolls into camp, and he hears this taunt, this, like, sacrilegious, your God's a weakling kind of taunt. And he goes to his brothers and he's like, what's going on? Like, he asks around the camp and they're like, yeah, turns out Saul's offered a huge freaking prize to the first person who challenges Goliath because everyone's been too scared. And also, he's been taunting us for 40 days. And David's like, well, I'll take him. This is ridiculous. He thinks he can talk about God that way. He thinks he can talk about God's people that way. And his older brother's like, you shut your mouth, you little punk. I know the only reason you're here is to watch the battle. You're just here for the bloodshed. I know what kind of heart you have. And David's like, Eliab, what did I do? I just said that he shouldn't be talking about God or his armies that way. Our God is alive and his gods are not. And Eliab is like, word got around camp that David was kind of, you know, saying he would take Goliath. And word got back to Saul. Saul summons David and David is like, I will fight this uncircumcised Philistine. I will kill him. Saul's like, here's the deal, kiddo. You're a kiddo, and he has been a warrior since he was a kiddo. You are inexperienced, and you are going to die if you go and fight Goliath, and also we are going to lose, and we will be their slaves. And David's like, here's the deal. I've never been to war, but I'm a shepherd. And here's the thing about being a shepherd in Bethlehem. There are bears and lions. And when a lion attacked my flock and stole one of my sheep, I killed it with my bare hands and saved the sheep, son. And when a bear came, I felt God's strength on me, and I took that bear by the hands and tore it to pieces. I killed the bear bare-handed you think that god can't empower me to do the same thing to this uncircumcised philistine you've got another thing coming and david was so riled up and like so full of faith that this was going to work that saul's like all right i will let you fight goliath however i will put you in my armor and give you my sword to use so that this is a fair fight David puts on Saul's armor. Remember, Saul is exceptionally tall also. Like, David is handsome, but we don't think he's necessarily tall. Puts on Saul's armor, tries walking around in it, and he's like, I can't fight in this. I'm not used to it. Let's go back to the part where I killed them barehanded. Like, this is not going to be better for me. So he insists that instead of, you know, fighting with Saul's armor and Saul's sword, he's going to go up against Goliath the same way he goes out into the fields, with nothing but a shepherd's sling. A sling, by the way, is not what we think of as a slingshot where it's like basically a wooden wishbone with a rubber band. No, no. This was like a long strip of leather with a pocket and you could put a rock in the in the pocket and spin it. And by releasing one half of this, you know, long leather string, you would fling the rock forward and it could travel real fast, like upwards of 100 miles an hour if you got enough friction on it. So David goes into the river, gets five smooth rocks and goes out to meet Goliath. Now let's look from Goliath's perspective. Nine foot tall, real scary, big armor. He's been doing this for over a month now, and out of the Israelite camp comes an unarmored child, like 15. And if you've seen a 15-year-old, they don't always look threatening, one might say. So Goliath gets pissed because his pride is hurt, and he's like, you think you can challenge me? I'm going to take you down. I'm going to kill you and feed your body to the birds. And David's like, oh, you think? Incorrect, son, because you threatened God and his armies. I'm going to feed your whole army's body to the birds. All y'all going to die today. God is going to show up for me. And then David puts a rock in his sling and starts running toward Goliath and hits Goliath in the head with a rock. Goliath falls backward, whether stunned or dead, we don't know, and David doesn't wait to find out. He draws Goliath's own sword from the sheath and cuts off his head and holds it above his own. Goliath has been killed by a shepherd boy with a rock and his own sword. This did not strike um, confidence in the heart of the Philistines, and they ran away real fast. The army of Israel, seeing that the Philistines were on the run, chased him down and had a victory. Big deal. Yay! Hooray! Saul then summons David and is like, "'Whose son are you?' Like, I feel like I might know you from somewhere." And David's like, "'I'm the son of Jesse of Bethlehem.'" And Saul deeply appreciates David and loves him. The other person who's in the room at this point is Jonathan. Remember Saul's son, Jonathan? And Jonathan, it's basically what we assume to be platonic, love at first sight. Jonathan sees David and he's like, "'Brother, brother, time.'" he's my new favorite. He's my best friend. And David also was like, Jonathan's my best friend. He's the greatest guy in the world. Jonathan's the best. Jonathan loved David so much, in fact, that he gave David his robe, his armor, and his own sword and his own bow and his own belt. So basically, Jonathan gave David the clothing of a prince, the war garments of a prince. And Saul would send David out, on fighting missions, and whatever David did, he was successful at. Like, Saul would tell him to go here and kill these people, and David would do it. Lead this army here, and David would do it. And he was great, so Saul began to rely on David immensely. However, there's a problem. David is successful, and Saul is a has-been. In fact, he hears people singing in the streets when David comes back that Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands. Nobody remembers how great Saul is now. No, David's the best. And Saul's like, my son Jonathan loves him. Everybody loves him. He's going to take the kingdom. And Saul tries to figure out a way to get rid of David without, you know, getting rid of David, because that would be shooting himself in the foot. And also the people wouldn't stand for it if he just killed David. So he comes up with a plan. Jonathan loves David as a brother or a best friend or whatever. But Michal, Saul's daughter, is in love with David. So he offers her hand in marriage to David, knowing that David will say no, which he does, because he can't pay the bride price for a princess. He don't have that kind of money. He doesn't have that kind of cheddar. And Saul keeps asking him. And finally, he's like, here's a fair bride price. You can marry my daughter Michal if you kill 100 Philistines and bring me their foreskins. The reason, by the way, that he had to bring foreskins is that the Israelites were not the only people in the area who circumcised their children. So the only way that David could prove that the 100 people he killed were Philistines and not just randos was if he brought their foreskins. David agrees that this is a fair bride price and goes out on his mission. Saul is happy because he's just sent David on an assassination trip into enemy territory with absolutely no hope. Unfortunately, David returns with 200 Philistine foreskins, and now he gets to marry Michal. Which means that, in Saul's eyes, his son's best friend is David, his daughter has married David, he is wearing the armor and the garments of a prince, and now he's married to a princess. Things are not going well for Saul's jealous plan. Saul then gives the orders to Jonathan and all of his servants that they need to kill David. And Jonathan's like, uh, absolutely not. David's great. Why would we kill him? He's wonderful. There's absolutely no reason to kill him. He's served you loyally. He's never given any indication that he wants to do anything to you. I don't see the point. And Saul listens for a while to the reasonableness that Jonathan presents. After all, David is a very loyal servant. And yeah, he's great at his job better than Saul is, but that's great. You want people who are better at the stuff you're not good at around you if you're the king. And thus, Jonathan was able to bring David back to Saul's household and have him around. After another brief war with the Philistines, David comes back extremely victorious. Saul gets jealous and decides that he's going to kill David in his own house. By his house, I mean Saul's house. So David is playing the lyre like he usually does. And that spirit comes upon Saul while David's playing. And he throws a spear at him and tries to pin him to the wall. And David dodges it like a boss and just runs out of the house. Night falls and Michal, David's wife, is like, if you don't leave now, my father will kill you. You need to get out. So David sneaks out of the house and crawls down the window. Michel uses David's clothes and some pillows to make it look like David is ill in bed. And the next day, when Saul's peeps come to kill him, she's like, I'm sorry, my husband's not feeling good. And they break in and they realize, eventually, after she's put him off for as long as she can, they didn't bring David. They just brought the shape of David. Didn't work out great for Saul. So where has David gone? He's gone to Ramah to see Samuel. Samuel hears the story and both he and David leave town. Eventually, Saul finds out where David and Samuel are, and he sends a detachment of soldiers to kill them both. This detachment of soldiers starts to get close to Samuel and David, but before they can get anywhere near enough to do any damage, they fall down flat on their faces and start prophesying. The same thing happens two more times, and finally Saul himself comes, and he's like, fine, I'll deal with Samuel and David. Well, Saul approaches Samuel and David, and when he gets close... Just like happened with everybody else, he falls down and starts prophesying. In fact, the spirit of God comes onto Saul so strongly that he's almost senseless. He strips down naked and is prophesying on the ground. And everyone's like, is Saul among the prophets? This is real weird. And so David is able to escape yet again. Jonathan meets up with him and David's like, what did I do? What's gone wrong? Why Why is your dad trying to kill me? And Jonathan's like you didn't do anything wrong. My father's not going to succeed. You are not going to die. Realistically, he's also not going to kill you. He tells me everything. It's going to be fine. And David's like, your dad wants me dead. And I don't know why, but for real, he's not going to tell you because he knows how tight we are. And Jonathan's like, okay, what do you need me to do? And David's like, Okay, there's a festival tomorrow, the new moon festival, and I should be at your dad's house. But tell him that I went home to Bethlehem. Tell him there was something going on and see how he reacts. If he's chill with it, great. If he's not, we'll know something's up. And if you think that I've done something wrong, if I deserve to die, kill me now in front of you. And Jonathan's like, what are you talking about, man? I wouldn't tell you if I thought my dad wanted to hurt you. David's like, how will I know who will tell me what your dad says? And he and Jonathan go into the field, and Jonathan pledges a vow to David. He pledges that not only will he tell the truth to David, but he prays to God that David's enemies will be vanquished and that he will serve the house of David, not the house of Saul. Jonathan makes this vow on the name of God. He acknowledges that all of David's enemies will be cut off from the face of the earth, and he prays that he would be spared from such a fate, that he would be able to serve David. He loved him. He loved him like his own heart. And then Jonathan tells him what their plan is. David is to hide in a field next to some rocks, like next to a a stone outcropping, probably a pile of rocks that had been cleared from a field that had been plowed. And he's going to shoot three arrows. Jonathan is anyway. And if he tells the boy that is fetching the arrows that they're like, oh, they're right over there. Go grab them. Then David will know that it's fine. But if he says, look, the arrows are way, way down the line, David knows that it's not safe. (laughs) Basically, Jonathan's going to use the arrows as an illustration for whether or not David is going to be in trouble. David doesn't show up to the New Moon Festival, and the first day, Saul's like, huh, that's weird. David should be here. But because in Jewish culture, especially at that time, there were a lot of ways for a man to become unclean, and a lot of ways for someone to become unclean that didn't have anything to do with a choice they might have made, like, for example, a nocturnal emission— Saul's like, oh, maybe David's ceremonially unclean. Like, what eh, happened. Whatever. He'll be here tomorrow. David wasn't there tomorrow. And Saul's like, Jonathan, where's David? Why wasn't he here today? Why wasn't he here yesterday? And Jonathan's like, yeah, about that. So David asked me, begged me permission to go back to Bethlehem so that he could make a sacrifice with his family. And I told him he could go. I thought you'd be chill with it. And Saul is like, you son of a bitch. You did what? Don't you know that that bastard is going to take our throne? He's going to ruin everything for us. How dare you? And Saul freaking throws his spear at Jonathan. It misses. But Jonathan just got threatened by his dad because he let David go to Bethlehem. And Jonathan doesn't eat anything. He gets up from the table and he leaves and he is ashamed of his father and furious in the morning he goes out to give david the signal he shoots the arrows and he's like the arrows are so far keep going 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 going. don't look back the boy eventually finds the arrows the little boy who was out to fetch them and jonathan's like here take take my bow and arrows back back to town you're great job kiddo here's a cookie Kid doesn't know what's going on. Kid has nothing to do with the story beyond that he was the signal. And out comes David from behind the rock. David falls in front of Jonathan and is weeping and bowing. They kissed each other and cried. And David cried even harder than Jonathan was. And Jonathan tells him to go in peace. They've sworn in the name of the Lord that their friendship will stand the test. Their friendship will stand the test... And their children will be allies as well. David, the son of Jesse, who used to be able to charm Saul's troubled heart, is now Saul's number one public enemy. David is on the run. Next episode, Saul's epic chase and David's epic runaway.